say blessed be your name this morning no matter what kind of week we've had whether we've had been on the mountaintop or whether we've been in the valley um, because Jesus is alive today um, and he's not buried in a tomb and that gives us great hope but I'd like to welcome you to First Baptist this morning 
Uh, some of you probably don't know who I am. I'm Matt Hughes. I'm one of the uh, new interns. But um, it's our custom in a minute, as our members are about to stand, if you're a guest, we'd like you to remain seated. Um, not to just single you out, but that's so that our members can recognize you as a guest and come and greet you. And so they will make you feel totally welcome because you definitely hold a seat of honor in our presence today. So at this time, we'd like everyone to stand. Um, guests remain seated, and let's welcome everyone. Sing with us now. You know the song well. Strength arises, we wait upon the Lord. We will wait upon the Lord. We will wait upon the Lord. Strength arises, we wait upon the Lord. And we will wait upon the Lord. We will wait upon the Lord. Our God, you reign Thank you. 
Jesus. You are the everlasting God, Lord. You have placed eternity in front of us and given it to us as a gift through your Son, Jesus Christ. And Lord, it's because of Jesus Christ that we can claim that eternal gift. We thank you that Jesus saves.
Our most precious, holy, heavenly Father, we come to you to worship you, to praise you, and to honor you, because, Lord, you are worthy of all of our worship. And, Lord, we thank you for the many blessings that you have bestowed upon us. We thank you for this house that we can come in to worship. We thank you for family and friends who comfort us when we need to be comforted. And, Lord, now we just pray that you take this that is already yours to use to further your kingdom. In your most precious name we pray. Amen. You are beautiful, my sweet, sweet song. You are beautiful, my sweet, sweet song. You are beautiful, my sweet, sweet song. I will sing again. You are so good to me. You heal my broken heart. You are my father in heaven. You are so good to me. Thank you. 
spirit inside me you are my jesus who loves me all right thanks guys good how are you this morning Good, good. It's good to see you. Good to see you. Today is Senior Adult Sunday. How many of you consider yourself senior adults? The youth minister, yeah? Let me ask you a question. Think about when you were saved. What, how old were you when you were saved? Uh, and how old you are today? How many of you have been Christians for 20 years or more? Okay, how many 30 years or more? The hands are getting a little lower each time. 40 years or more? 50 years or more? Anybody here been Christian 60 years or more? Two, three, four, five. Okay. Uh, the sermon this morning is all about longevity. It's, it's about being a follower of Christ. And when that journey begins, and even more importantly, how it ends. Because it's a lot more important how things conclude than how, how they begin. We're going through the books of the Bible, and it was fun to find a passage relevant for senior adults in the book of Acts. We're in the book of Acts, and so I looked for something that had to do with senior adults and found Acts 21, verses 15 and 16. <clears throat> and this is what my translation says. This is Paul, and he's on his journey back to Jerusalem. He's traveling from a missionary journey and you know on Paul's missionary journeys, he's always taking up a collection for the mother church in Jerusalem. The Jewish Christians in Jerusalem aren't too sure about the Gentiles who are being saved out in the wider world. And so Paul has this great idea. He says, if I can take up a collection from the Gentile churches and take it back to the mother church in Jerusalem for the Jewish Christians, maybe they will see then that these these." newcomers, these uh, interlopers who are out in the world, these Gentile Christians love them, and, they'll, and the Jewish Christians will be more accepting of them. So Paul's on his way back to Jerusalem, and on the way he needs lodging for the night. And this is what happens in Acts 21, verse 15. After these days we made ready and went up to Jerusalem, and some of the disciples from Caesarea were with, went with us, bringing us to the house of Nason of Cyprus, an early disciple with whom we should lodge. My translation says early disciple. Other I saw the King James Version. It says old disciple. Some translations say disciple of long standing. That's what uh, the New American Standard says. So there's several different ways to interpret this word, um, and we'll get to it in a minute. But what I want you to see about today is, is the importance of Nason, who played just a, a small role in getting Paul back to Jerusalem. 
But he was there at an important juncture in Paul's life. And the reason why is because Nason had been a Christian for a long time. And there is no substitute for longevity in your relationship with Christ. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the new Christians, for their excitement and passion and enthusiasm uh, of recently being saved and baptized and uh, in coming into the faith. I thank you for, for young adults who have been Christians for a while and, and are growing in their relationship with you and learning and developing further. And I thank you for, for Christians who've been, uh, been saved for a while and, and their ability and strength and energy to take leadership positions. But Father, most of all today, I thank you for Christians who've been faithful to you for a long time, who have known you and loved you and served you perhaps their entire lives, and their relationship with you has just grown sweeter as the years go by. We thank you for that, Father, and and, uh, we pray uh, that you will bless them and continue to use them in a mighty way in our midst. In Jesus' name, amen. If I were to ask you about some folks in the book of Acts, you could probably tell me a lot about them. Uh, there are about 100, at least 100 people mentioned in the book of Acts because it's all about the beginning of the early church. You know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John take you through the Gospels and they tell you the story of Jesus. Well, what happens after Jesus ascends to the Father? This is where the early church appears. And that's what the book of Acts is about, how the church is birthed and how it expands in the world. And Paul is responsible for a lot of that expansion as he, as he takes the gospel from Jerusalem out into the world on three different missionary journeys, heading to major cities. And when he gets to a city, he establishes a church. And, and that church becomes uh, like, like uh, the hub on the spokes of a wheel. And those spokes extend out and, and the message of the gospel is preached in all directions from these major centers where Paul establishes a church. So we know all about Paul. We know he was a Pharisee. We know he was uh, a persecutor of the church, that he was saved on the road to Damascus, and that he's responsible for a lot of the books in the New Testament. We know a lot about Simon Peter. He was a, a rough and hardy fisherman that Jesus called by the shore of the Sea of Galilee. And And uh, he followed Jesus, and he kind of put his foot in his mouth a lot of times, and he rushed in to say things and do things before he really thought them through. He told Jesus that he would walk to him on the water, and then he began to sink, and Jesus had to lift him up. And and uh, but he is the one who confessed that you're the Christ, the Son of the Living God. There's some things we know about Simon Peter, and if I gave you other folks in the in the Book of Acts, you could tell me about them, the disciples. Most of them you know something about, but I doubt. You've ever heard anything about this elderly man called Nason and what an important role he played. You see, the the Jews were suspicious of Paul. They weren't sure what he was doing out there in the world, taking the gospel to the Gentiles, and they didn't appreciate it. They didn't like it. They thought that they should maintain the priority in the kingdom. They liked being Christians, but they still liked being Jews too. And so Paul, taking the gospel to the Gentiles, was abhorrent to them initially. And and, and as a matter of fact, when Paul gets back to Jerusalem, there's a council that happens in the last part of this same chapter. And they get together and and figure out what the Gentiles need to do in order to, to come into the Christian church. 
And they give some stipulations later on in this chapter that explain that. But here, Paul is on his way back, and some, some folks from Caesarea are with him, and somehow they know this guy named Nason. Now maybe, it says Nason of Cyprus, which is an island in the Mediterranean Sea. Maybe Nason heard about Jesus on the island. Maybe somehow word got, maybe eventually Nason migrated eastward to the mainland and he heard about Jesus. Maybe if he was from Caesarea, he was among that group at Pentecost who heard about Jesus when, when Peter was preaching. And if that happened, that was probably 25 to 30 years earlier. Jesus, we think, his ministry, A.D. 30 to about 33. Paul's letters are uh, around A.D. 60 to 65. So it's about 25 to 30 years later that Paul is making these journeys and, and coming back to Jerusalem. So if Nathan's been a Christian for 25, 30 years, he is described as an early disciple. My translation says early, as I said, the King James says old, not very politically correct, is, is it? The New International Version says one who had been a believer since the early days. The New American Standard, a disciple of long standing. Here, Revised Standard says an early disciple. Whatever you want to describe it, I don't think it necessarily means Nason is old. You don't have to be old to be a disciple for a long time if you come into the faith early. A lot of you were saved when you were, when you were a child, 7, 10, 12. And incidentally, I hope you saw the video for Bible school and read the little insert in your bulletin this morning because children between the ages of 8 and 13 are crucial to a child coming to faith in Jesus Christ. And that's why we do Bible school for children. And that's why I present the plan of salvation on Thursday of Bible school. And, and it's just such an important time in their lives. And a lot of you here may have been saved during Bible school. But what the word means, uh, Nason also means, the word, his name means remembering. Remembering. Isn't that interesting? Not only has he been a disciple for a long time, but as his name reflects, he remembers what he learned about Jesus. And so when Paul comes his way and some friends from Caesarea and they say, can we stay in your house for the night? Unlike most of the other Jewish Christians who would have sent Paul packing, Nathan says, yes, I'm beginning to understand what the gospel means, that it's for the whole world and not just for the Jews. Paul is welcome in my home. There's some things I want to point out about Nathan that spring from this passage. And real simple, it's the value of Christian maturity Secondly, the meaning of discipleship. And thirdly, the importance of faithfulness. Maturity, discipleship, faithfulness. All important, I think, on Senior Adult Sunday. The first thing, the value of Christian maturity. This is interesting. The word for early or old or disciple of long standing is archaos. Archaos in the Greek. And it means... Um, Old, ancient, former, early, original. I guess we get the word archaic from it today. But if you've been a senior adult for a long time, I don't want you to think you're an archaic Christian. Because when we read archaic, we automatically have a connotation of elderly or old or 
ancient or antique. But that's not necessarily what this word means in the Greek. It just means a long time. Nason has been a Christian for a long time. And that's what's important here. There is, because there is no shortcut to spiritual maturity. There is no shortcut to spiritual maturity. I've tried to find shortcuts. And in, in, over my years as a pastor, we have tried to use Christians in leadership positions who have only been Christians for a short time. And it usually doesn't work. In my last church, it's good to have a last church to get illustrations like this from, isn't it? Uh, in my last church, we had a, um, a, a Sunday school director who was doing a great job, been a Christian for a long time. He said, but listen, I've got a friend of mine who's a relatively new Christian, and he is a ball of fire. And if you will let him be my assistant Sunday school director, he said, I know we can do great things for the Lord in our church. And great things did happen. We were running about 300 in Sunday school, and within about seven or eight months, we were over 400 in Sunday school, and the church was growing, and things were thriving. But his assistant Sunday school director had only been a Christian for a year or two. And after a few months as As assistant Sunday school director, things began to unwind in his personal life and in his family. And things came to light that no one knew about. And and eventually he resigned from assistant Sunday school director. And and, and the Sunday school that we had worked so hard that year to build just began to plateau. And, you know, it just kind of remained the same. And it just, you know, it just reminded me that you just don't elevate persons to positions of leadership in the church that haven't had an opportunity to to grow in their faith because there is no shortcut to spiritual maturity. To those of you who are early disciples in our church, to those of you who are are disciples of long standing, who have been believers since the early days, I cannot tell you how important your role is in the church because we do need Christians of all ages and of all lengths of times in the faith. We need new Christians coming in. And as I mentioned, the importance of Bible school, we need uh, young Christians growing and, and developing and maturing. And we need Christians who are, who are middle age, who have the energy and passion to, to, to drive the programs and the ministries and take leadership positions in the church. But we really need senior adults so much. People who've been Christians for a long time because they provide the stability and the strength and the maturity that we need. A lot of times when I'm faced with a decision, I'll call Chess. And I'll say, Chess, what do you think about this? And he has, what, 65 years of experience in the pastoral ministry that he can lean back on and look at and, and say, Wayne, this happened to me, or, or I think you need to consider this. And you just have such a, pr- a perspective that time following Christ offers. And there's no other way to get that than to have walked with him faithfully for a long time. There's a value of Christian maturity that, that cannot be short-circuited or, or short-cutted. Secondly, there's the meaning of Christian discipleship. You want to know what discipleship means? It means being a disciple. And a disciple means to be a follower of Christ. That's why when when folks come and are saved and baptized, as we had a few weeks ago, it is crucial 
that those folks become involved in the church and they see the, the importance of discipleship. Before I baptize people, we meet together. And we, I, I tell them very plainly, this is not the conclusion of your Christian life. This is only the beginning. And when does it end? It doesn't end when you die. Your relationship with Jesus ends. It never ends because he comes to take us home with him in eternity. This is the starting point. And discipleship lasts forever. Every, every so often we'll have somebody saved and baptized and they think, well, I'm going to heaven now. I don't need to do anything else. And we never see them again. And I wonder what happened to them. You know, I've baptized five or 600 people since I've been here. Where are they now? A lot of them have moved away. Sure, have joined other churches. But how many of them are still living in Tifton, residents of Tifton, but aren't involved in church anymore? We've done a poor job of discipling them, of helping them realize that their relationship with Christ begins when they're saved, but it never ends. Nason, two important things about him. He had been a disciple for a long time. And secondly, he still was. He started and he still is a, a disciple. He's still growing, a disciple of long standing, an early disciple. He was active, he was growing, he was involved, he was working after all those years of following Christ. And there is the only way to grow in your relationship with Christ is to be discipled, to obey, to, to follow the Christian disciplines and to let them incorporate into you a growing faith. I heard a story about a man who came home from work one day and he was surprised that his wife was home and he said, I thought you were taking golf lessons. And she said, no, I took one yesterday and learned how to play then. That's all she needed, one golf lesson. Then a lot of people look at the Christian life like, it, that's, golf isn't hard, is it? One lesson, you got it. That's all there is to it. Knock the ball in the hole, go to the next one. Nothing to it. Um, where was I? <laughs> the Christian life, the same word disciple is from the same root as discipline. The same root word discipline and disciple. Same thing. It takes spiritual disciplines. If you look at the analogies of the Christian life in the New Testament, it's interesting to me that all the analogies of the Christian life are processes. The Christian life is described as a race. Therefore, run the race that has been set before you, looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. It's a race. And let me specify, the Christian race is not a sprint. It is a marathon. And it lasts forever. The Christian life is described as a battle. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand the onslaught of the enemy. It's a battle and it's being waged Ongoing. The Christian life has been described as, as a process of, of maturing from babies to adults. It says in Corinthians, don't drink just spiritual milk, but eat the, the meat of the gospel that you might grow in the faith. So it's something that, that you grow through by starting off as babies drinking milk and then, you know, pablum and then baby food and then meat, Christian meat of the gospel that you might continue to grow in the faith. It's, it's described as building a house on the foundation of Jesus Christ. And that house you're building is never finished. You continue 
All these analogies of the Christian life emphasize the importance of process. And that process continues as you, as you follow those Christian disciplines like Bible study and prayer and worship and tithing and witnessing. If you're doing those five things in the Christian life, I can assure you, you're growing in the process of becoming a saint, a Christian, a mature Christian. If you are not growing as a Christian, look at these five disciplines and figure out which one am I weak in? Am I not tithing? Am I not witnessing? Am I not in Bible study or prayer or worship like I ought to be? Because if you're doing these five things, you're growing as a Christian. But I want you to see that the Christian life is a process that requires discipline. And only someone who's been a Christian for a long time has that advantage and experience that comes from a lifetime of serving Christ. So there's Christian maturity. There is Christian discipleship. The third and final thing I want you to see is Christian faithfulness. Manasin is remembered. Isn't that interesting? Of all the places where Paul stayed, how many other houses did he stay in on his missionary journey? I don't know. Only Nason is mentioned here. And it's mentioned, I don't, I'm not sure why. Perhaps because he was an early disciple. An old disciple, as the King James puts it. A disciple of long standing. And, and it, I don't care how many spiritual gifts you have. If you have one or five or ten spiritual gifts, every one of us can be faithful. Every one of us can be faithful with our gifts. You've heard the story about the state track meet in Alabama years ago. There was a lot of hubbub about it because there was a, a young athlete who was a senior in high school who had just missed the state record by a few seconds. And so there was a lot of attention in the state as they came to the, the finals of the state track meet. Everybody wanted to see this, this young man. A lot of colleges were there to recruit him. There was just a lot of interest about this young man. And when they got to the race, there he was, and he was tall and strapping and well-built and, and uh, obviously a wonderful athlete. They were all looking forward to seeing him run, but as they scanned the, the row of runners, they noticed at the far end a, a skinny, short, spindly-legged young man who didn't look like a distance runner at all. It's a mile run. Well, the gun sounded, and the race started off, and the, and the tall, strong young man just took off at a torrid pace, tearing around the track. And, and the short, little spindly-legged guy, you know, was just barely motoring around as best he could. Well, as they went four times around the, the track and came in, uh, the, the, the tall, strong guy had almost lapped the little guy. And he came in, and the stopwatch clicked, and everybody in the stands went wild because he had broken the state record. And it was really an exciting time there in the stadium for the, the boy and the boy's family and his high school and all the fans. Well, they're getting ready for the next event, and they're putting hurdles out in the track, and suddenly one of the judges saw the race wasn't over. He said, wait a minute, y'all move those hurdles back out of the way. There's somebody still running. And sure enough, coming around the track was that short little spindly-legged boy coming, sweating, you know, all over the place, just barely heaving and, and puffing and able to put one leg in front of the other. And with a final gasp, he fell across the finish line and, and his face buried in the cinders on the, on the cinder track. And uh, some, some of the judges came up to him and said, Son, the, 
The race has been over for almost a, two minutes. Why, why didn't you just quit? A lot of the other runners had quit when they realized that the race was already over. And the boy said, sir, we had, we had a, as he was gasping, we had a, uh, a guy who was a mile runner in our, on our team, and, and he got sick this week, and he couldn't come. And the coach asked me if I would come and run this race because the coach had promised to have a runner in every event. He said, so I, I told him I'd come and run the race. He said, sir, they didn't send me here to win, and they sure didn't send me here to quit. They sent me here to run this mile, and I did it. That's what Jesus asks of us. He doesn't expect us to win. He sure doesn't expect us to quit. He just expects us to run the race that has been set before us until the end. We can all be faithful. So I want you to see here the value of maturity, the meaning of discipleship, which is a process, and the importance of being faithful. One thing I love about First Baptist Tifton is that we have a representatives of every age group. You know, one thing that, that a new church doesn't have is it doesn't have a whole lot of senior adults. But churches that have been around 100 and almost 25 years, like this church, has people of, of every age group, has people who have been Christians for a short time and medium time and a long time. And they just have such a wealth of diversity and perspectives and strengths and gifts to bring to the table. And that's what being a church, I think, is all about. So today is Senior Adult Sunday. And I, I want our senior adults to know how important they are to our fellowship. And I want you young adults to know how important it is for you to remain faithful to the finish. Shall we bow? Father, I thank you and praise you for Christians of every age bracket, of every length of time being a Christian, for all the gifts and, and diversity and strengths they offer, and for the, the stability that it affords this church, knowing that there are folks here who have experienced so many different things. And if we can just get senior adults and, and youth together or senior adults and young adults together, they can offer each other so much. We praise you, Lord, for your faithfulness to us, for your patience with us as we grow in our faith. Help us to learn to follow the spiritual disciplines and to grow in our relationship with you some every day so that when we look back, we can see where we have changed, where we have grown from one week, from one month, from one year to the next. So that when the time comes for you to call us home, we won't hear what happened. You were running the race so faithfully and you you failed. Instead, we'll hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter now into the joy of your reward. 
We look forward to that day. In Jesus' name, amen. It's an opportunity for you now to respond to Jesus' claims on your life. Maybe you have never begun the race that Christ has set out for you. It begins when you profess your faith in your heart, and then you profess it publicly. Profession of faith publicly is important because it enables us as a church to recognize what God's doing and to to baptize you and to help you grow in your relationship. Maybe you need to rededicate your life. You've been a Christian for a while, but you've kind of been on a, a siding. You haven't been traveling and growing and progressing as you should. Maybe you need to join this church. You've been visiting for a while, and you say, I'm ready to jump in and get...